Plus 45 is the first pitch tonight. <laughs> oh, boy. You got it right. When I get it right, I'm going to keep saying it. Third time's a charm. Uh, boy. That's what they say. 645 is first pitch tonight between the Phillies and the Jays. Keep saying it. Kevin Gossman and Zach Wheeler. At 645. Oh, the Jays come, at 645. <laughs> Jays coming off an 1811 win last night in the game that started at 645. And, uh, yeah, we've got tickets to uh, give away to see the Red Sox and Jays uh, on September. I got so much paper here. Here we go, September 30th. We'll give it away in the next, uh, later on in the hour. And um, good trivia question. Good trivia question. For I got you. it right away. <laughs> yeah, you got it right away. All right. Uh, we uh, major. We spent a great deal of time recently talking about the rules changes that Major League Baseball is bringing in next year. We had Morgan Sword on a couple of days ago talking about. Of course, we're talking about the pitch clock, uh, the limitations or restrictions, however you want to describe it, on shifts, uh, the limitations on throwing over to first base and bigger physical bases as well. It's uh, by no stretch of the imagination, I think, will it be the last set of significant rules changes we'll see in baseball. Um, We know that technology is continuing its march and is going to continue to have an influence in the game. But... It certainly seems from a distance as if it's going to be an awful lot for major league players to swallow in the offseason and get used to playing under those rules during the regular season. Raul Abanez is senior VP for baseball operations with Major League Baseball. He's a 19-year MLB veteran, and we're very pleased that he joins us in Blair and Barker. Raul, thank you so much for joining Kevin and myself. We trust that you're keeping well. Um, when these rules were announced, uh, and, and I think we're, I grew up watching baseball in the 70s and 80s as, as well, and you made the point that, that these rules changes kind of reminded you of the game you grew up with in the 70s and 80s, which was, I, I think it was a faster game, a, more athletic. Um, you know, is... Is that, do you think, the the main thing baseball needs to address in order to in order to get a younger younger generation of fans here? Just more athletic, more fast, more action. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Um, and uh, and I, I think that you know everything that um, is being done at Major League Baseball is. Um, it's done based off of what the fans are telling us, the type of game that they love to see, that they want to see. We have the greatest game in the world with the best players in the history of our sport. Um, not just since I came into the big leagues, but prior to that, these guys are more athletic, they're more powerful, they're bigger, faster, stronger. And it's just um, trying to get to what Theo refers to as the best version of baseball, putting the best version of baseball on the field so that these incredible athletes that we have can shine and and put their talents on display for our fans. Is it fair to think that with no shift that every hitter should now hit 300 every single year now? Um, that would be uh, a hard no, probably. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, hitting is, is harder than ever. Hitting has been you know, it's it's been Ted Williams, the greatest of all time. He called it the most difficult thing to do in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to agree with that. Um, uh, you know, but the, the fact is hitting has always been difficult. It's just become increasingly difficult. Not just is the stuff better, but the information, the data, and the defensive positioning has really impacted batting averages as well. Well, I mean, you, you're in in a in a uh, you know in a, in a unique position there because you you played the game for a long time, and I'll ask you this: Would would 24, 25 year old Raul Abanez be excited to see these rule changes Great coming question. in if you were if you were playing right now? Would you be would would it be an imposition, or would you be hey I'm on board with this? This is you know this is is going to make the game more exciting. 
That's a really tough question to ask. I, I would say, honestly speaking, any time a rule change came into play, um, I was resistant. Uh, so, so you know, you, 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 you play the game based off of the rules that are given to you, and when that, and you prepare diligently towards playing that game. Um, and any time that there's a rule change, the initial response, at least on a personal level, was I was always resistant at first. Now, over time... Um, you adjust and you adapt and you usually look back on the, on the rule change and think, God, that it wasn't, we probably should have never been doing that. I mean, the, you know, running over the catchers at home plate and breaking up double plays at second base. I always thought it was part of the game. I, I didn't like those changes, but later as time went on, now looking back in hindsight, you think, well, that was probably the right, um, rule change. And so I think at first there's always as a player, I was always resistant and over time, you, you know, you, you adapt and you adjust and later on, much later on, you look back and you go, this is definitely the right call. So how are, how are guys going to prepare for the pitch clock? And I'm not just talking about pitchers. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about hitters. You know, I look at the, at the blue Jays and they've got some, they've got some guys that like to make sure the gloves are tight and they're sure. not tight enough. And I got to tighten them again. And you know, I mean, you wait I, for I, me. I grew up thing. covering. I grew up covering the New York Yankees, and you know, Derek Jeter didn't always necessarily speed the game up. Um, are, are, are guys going to have to just get used to it? Because I don't think you can practice that in the off season, right? You can't practice your walk up routine in the off season, and I think people have some concern about you know tie game, uh, ninth inning, home plate umpire is going to call somebody, and it's going to decide the game. Yeah, I can tell you that for how I I think you absolutely can prepare for it uh, during the off season. If I were playing, I would certainly do that. I'd go through simulated at bats to just get accustomed to the cadence and the tempo and the rhythm of of the batter's box and and um, you know what's going on. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, if I go back in time and you know it was like facing Cliff Lee, he worked really fast, mm-hmm. so he kind of sped up your tempo anyway. Uh, so you do, you know, there, it is going to, there is going to be an adjustment period. Um, but I don't think it's going to be as profound as, as, you know, uh, or, or as difficult an adjustment as we think over time, uh, guys will adjust and adapt. These are the best players in the world. And, and I, I strongly believe that, um, the most adaptable players in the world, baseball players have to constantly adjust and adapt anyway in the batter's box. There's so many different variables going on with the pitcher positioning. Um, you know, uh, you have to adapt from pitch to pitch. Uh, I, I think that there, you know, there's going to be an adjustment period. You can prepare for it during the off season. There's a, a lot of time to prepare. Um, and spring training is going to be the real time to do it in game to, to really adapt and adjust. What, what will you be looking for in spring training when it comes to the pitch clock? One thing. Uh, um, I you know, to be honest with you, I, I've seen these games, these games played. I think we tested these rules in over 8,000 minor league games. Mm-hmm. And I do recognize that the minor leagues are different than the big leagues. But um, one thing that I really enjoy about the pitch clock is the crispness of the game mm-hmm. and the frequency of action. It's not really about the overall time of game. It's more about the pace of play. And I think that overall players are going to find um, this change as a very favorable change, um, not just to their own game, but to, you know, the quality of play. There's a lot more, you know, when, when a guy works fast on the mound, you, you tend to be ready defensively. You're, you're getting ready. You're getting set. You're staying engaged and focused. And one thing that I think you'll see an increase of is athletic plays on the field because of it. Well, I'm interested in your, your move from a player being an, a, a player into the commissioner's office, what's been the most surprising thing to you about the commissioner's office about not necessarily just about the job you're doing now, but maybe something you may have had some preconceived notions about what goes on in the commissioner's office. And, and, you know, and those notions may have been shown when you got there to be wrong. What, what's kind of been the most surprising thing? That's a really good question. I, I think that, um, I had no idea how deeply people loved the game and cared about the game. Everybody who works at the office, um, they, they not only do they love the game, but they love players. When players come through the office, everybody lights up. They get really excited about it. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, once you get behind the scenes and, and in the trenches of all of these things, I've, I've been really, um, pleasantly surprised by the camaraderie and the collaborate, the collaboration 
and the appreciation for how difficult the game is to be played by the players. So I used to think it was differently and you know, it was different. And now what I learned is that um, people are really transparent and, and honest and want what's in the best interest of the game of baseball and their appreciation for the players and how hard the game is to play. I want to ask you about this time of the year as a player. How hard is it to playoff time? September's playoff time for a lot of these teams, like the Mariners, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Blue Jays that we cover. As a player, how much harder is it in September as a playoff team? I got to tell you, as a playoff team, it's it's always hard. September's always hard because you're either you're trying to get in or if you're already in, you're preparing for the postseason mentally. So, um you know, this time of year, though, it's the best time of year, especially if you have a shot like where the Jays are right now. Uh, this is, it's got to be so exciting. So I think the electricity in the air uh, where you could feel the postseason coming and you could feel that clinch and the cold, crisp champagne being poured on your head with an opportunity to win the World Series, uh, I think there's nothing better. Uh, than, than this time of year. And you could feel the electricity. You could hear it from the fans, especially if you're on a team that has an opportunity to win. The bad part is if I've been on the team that doesn't have the opportunity to win either, that's not a good feeling. <laughs> you want to be on the postseason team. Yeah. What do you think makes a good good uh, you know, good player in September and, op- and October, a good clutch player? What, what do you think makes the, you know, sort of allows a guy to really, really step up in that time? I think, I think one, it's the mindset. Um, you have to love being in that moment. Uh, we all dream about it in the backyard, but, but once you get into the moment, I think it's a matter of maintaining the, the balance um, and the internal tension between, you know, being hyper-focused and aggressive and also staying calm. And once you're, if you can stay in that balance, that internal balance, there's no better feeling. Everything gets really, really quiet. Even though it's, it's a full ballpark, it gets really, really quiet, and, uh, and and you know you get locked into that zone where it's um, where it's just these special things happen. So I think you know being able to control the emotions, um, you know, while maintaining internal calm, uh, that's the balance that you want to try to achieve as a player. Was there a teammate you had that was just you know just nails in the postseason or, or i'm sorry not the postseason but september just loved like you could tell when september first rolled around mm-hmm. or even the middle of september this guy was just locked in i mean some of the philly teams that that i was on just you know chase utley in the world series against right. the yankees where he hit the five homers um just watching him achieve that i mean edgar martinez was another one that the bigger the moment got the calmer he got um you know, Jimmy Rollins had a great heartbeat for, for postseason games. I, you know, playing with uh, Carlos Beltran, even though our teams weren't winning teams that we were on, per se, we did have one, you know, decent season there in KC. Mm-hmm. But uh, Beltran had the ability to do that as well. So uh, there's quite a few guys that can really dial it in, that, that it wasn't just talent and ability and, and preparation, but it was the ability to perform um, in September and in October. I mean, watching watching the Jays guys uh, play, this is a really exciting team that you guys have in Toronto. And, and uh, just, you know, what a, what a fun team to watch for the for the fans. I'm really excited. When I say the name Aaron Judge, what do you think? I mean, monster. This, yeah. this guy is, uh, he, he's not just a, a, he's not just a power hitter. You know, clearly he has an opportunity to win the triple crown, but just an athlete, um, you know, all-around athlete, above-average defensive player, a guy that could hit the ball to all fields, a guy that could really, really hit. And and here's my favorite part about Aaron Judge is when I think of him, I should have said gentleman. You know, he's a professional. Um, he's conscientious, uh, you know, really cares about the fans and his teammates and about winning and about all the right things. I mean, um, he's definitely one of the faces of, of our great game. Yeah, that was crazy. We were talking about this just before he came in the air that, you know, how many guys hit their 60th home run of the year and take the lead in the batting race <laughs> with the same swing? Crazy. Like, it's just it's, it's just crazy. Incredible. I mean, it's incredible what he's doing, what he's done, and, and watching him do it, um, you know, especially when they, you know, his team really, really needs him. And yeah. to do it in the Bronx, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's just special to watch. What a special moment to watch and what a great um, – it, it's just he's a great player – great human being and and just phenomenal for baseball 
Raul, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks. Be well. That's Raul Abanez, Senior VP of Baseball Operations. The Mariners, uh, former player with the Mariners, Royals, Phillies, Angels, and Yankees. He was on. Everybody, we used to do this thing where you'd sit around, you know, the bar or whatever after game, and you'd be yapping about stuff. You'd make a one of the things is making a list of guys who were players that you thought would eventually manage. Yeah. Convinced that Rule Abanez was going to be a major league huh. manager. And I know, I think he's, he's, he's interviewed for a couple of, uh, a couple of jobs, but what? he was a guy that, that if you kind of covered baseball when he played like in the, 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 the 2000s and that, absolutely convinced he was going to manage. Let, let me ask you a question. Rule changes. Yeah. Red flag in spring training. What would they be? Red flag. Like that, we have to change this. Before the season starts, I mean, I know that the the evidence suggests it's not going to happen. I would be, I will be watching for pitchers Me getting too. sore really early, and and mm. I mean, guys do right. That's the one of the issues with spring training is you are probably if you're a pitcher, chances are at some point in spring training you're. It's not that you're going to have an injury, but. It's, Something's going to happen. You're going to have to miss a start. You're going to get pushed back. You're mm-hmm. going to—that's uh, my one concern. Mm-hmm. That that's really my. The other stuff, uh, you know, I I think Royals, Royals, right? Guys, guys yeah, will adapt. The There'll shift, be some yeah. grumbling, but guys will adapt to that. But I just don't know what happens if. Just, you know, Max Scherzer looking up the clock. I've got mm-hmm. a second left, and, and I throw in, I'm not ready. That is the red flag for me, is if you get a bunch of – I'm not worried about the young guys, because I think the young you know guys can is? adapt. But if you get a lot of the older guys, that's what would concern me. It's the me. guy coming off an injury that you want to go quicker, and he wants to take it slower. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. It's it's how do you get that point. guy going and have that relationship between I, – I chuckle – umpire – and player, because there's going to be a little of that. There's going to be that guy that goes, dude, I just don't feel right. Just leave me alone. Yeah. And how's that going to be? I find that interesting well, I, on how that guy coming back kept, from that injury, how that's going to be handled. And I kept thinking about the Joe West. rules, right? Yeah, I kept thinking mm-hmm. about the Joe West story about calling that game when baseball did have the pitch clock in and the Chicago Cubs pitcher and he called the ball or uh, yeah, called the ball. Mm-hmm. And they found out later that the kid had a, the, whoever was pitching had asthma. You know, and, and, and Joe said, I felt awful. Here's a guy with a breathing problem, you know, and I'm basically telling him, hurry up and breathe more, hurry up. And, but that, that, that's really my, my only concern. Um, I yeah. do think like, I think the changes are going to have a, they're They're all going to be positive. I absolutely believe they're all going to be positive, but I gotta, yeah, I just, I gotta see in my own mind that a veteran pitcher can handle the change without okay. hurting himself. Okay, uh, no, that makes no sense. shift and the three batter rule. Is those two things together fair for an organization to have at the same time? Yeah. Why? The uh, reason I say that is, is with no shift and a lefty comes in who's facing two lefties and a righty. You're facing them for a reason, yeah. but the righty is Albert Pujols of 10 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's, okay. that's my, I, I'm, sorry. I I'm sorry. Or no, a no, left hand. Uh, my point is, yeah. how do you how do you make an organization have both okay. of those when <laughs> it would be easier, right, to match up? Lefty comes in, you bring a lefty Listen, in. Righty I've, comes up, you bring a righty in because of no, yeah, no shift. I, I mean, I, I've said I, I, I don't like the three batter rule. I think you should be able to change pitchers really as often either. as you want. Pitching clock should eliminate that now. You That's think, right. That, you would certainly well, think and, so. And I've all, the other thing I've said, too, is eliminate trips to the mound. You re- Eliminate trips to the mound. You got a pitching clock. I think you should be able to change pitchers as often as you want. That's just me. But, uh, you know, it, it's – I mean, you've essentially – in a way, it's good because now you're forcing pitchers – you, you would think that it would mean you would keep better pitchers in the game longer because now you're not going to have those those loogies, right? Those lefties only one out guys. You're not going to have those guys anymore. So you're going to have a, your lefty's going to have to be a guy like Tim Mesa. Mm-hmm. But I never the pitching changes didn't didn't bother me, and I'm I'm kind of with me you. Either. The the, the, the pitch clock fair, should really. take care of it. Well, now that you think about it, 
Yeah. Like, where, where I'm the, not sure. What I'm really not totally convinced about yet, and this isn't a red flag as much as I need to see it happen, but you've already seen people talk about how you can game the rules, right, by, by positioning players. We've had people talk about, hey, what about an outfield shift where you've got three outfielders on one side? Sure. And one of the outfielders playing where the where the shifted second baseman would be now. Mm-hmm. And now you're given the whole side of the field to the player. I don't know how that's going to look. Jason Stark, I would direct people to Jason Stark's article in The Athletic a couple of days ago. I had no idea about this. But he talked about two things. One, the possibility, and I'd heard this, that there may be that they've talked about having kind of that, that slice pie slice where you you have a you have lines going out from second base in both directions and basically you're creating it's like it's like an area it's like no no defense you, yeah. you know you're, or you're only Nelson, allowed your toes on the line exactly you're only allowed one you're only allowed you one imagine? player in the zone or whatever yeah but the other thing jason pointed out pay attention the next time you're watching a baseball game on tv and look at the infield there's no standardization of infield grass of, of the size of the there are different sizes of dirt areas oh, in major league baseball. Shorts. Here they come. No, but what I'm saying is it, it's it, it, Jason's article is really interesting. There's a lot it of, is. there's a lot of differences and think about wow. it. Think about the number of times you've, you've gone to ballpark and I've had this happen. I go, ah, that's yeah, it's kind of a bigger dirt area than it's, huh. It, it 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 it's interesting the dimensions of the park the 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 infield the dirt area they're not all they're same they're not all cut the same mm. some of them the the the, the grasses there's there's more of a, a a loop to it if you want to call it that some of them they're a little more it's it's an interesting story and um you know as jason said it's something that that uh that that teams are aware of it's something the commissioner's office is aware of I don't know how you can change it. I mean, I guess you could theoretically, but do you even want to change it? Because mm-hmm. it's part of the the different aesthetics, right, of of, of every ballpark. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, I'm not certain. I'm not certain that that the impact. Every time there's a rules change, there's. A flip side there's an impact to it you know you talk you look at the rules changes the nfl has made or the nhl made getting rid of the red line and all that and and it was supposed to open up the game and it just changed the way guys the way guys played defensively you know it, it's uh, the red line people thought well if you get rid of the red line you know you're not going to have the neutral zone trap and all this stuff well the neutral zone trap was developed in Europe without a red line. So there's always, what I'm saying is there's always these unintended consequences sure. when you, uh, when you, when you're doing something like that. But um, the pitching injuries is the one is mm-hmm. the one thing I will be keeping an eye on. And I know, listen, I, I'm sure they have a ton of data. I'm sure no question their own khakis have, uh, have looked at this cause there's, there's no way it's, it's, it's not to baseball's benefit, right. To put a rule in place that is going to injure uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of pitchers. It's just not, it's just not to their benefit. So I'm, I've, I've got to think that they've, that they've done a lot of looking into that. And, uh, but it is something we'll keep an eye on. I mentioned that we have tickets to give away to the Red Sox Jays on October 30th at the Rogers Center. We've been giving away tickets all year long. So here's the deal. I'm going to read a trivia question. You're going to text the correct answer. Why do you always laugh when I say this? You're going to text the correct answer. Just can I ask you why you're laughing about this? Like, have I been, you guys are too. Because I'm laughing at you. Because have I been saying something wrong the whole time? Mm -hmm. All right. Start over. Go. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question. You can text it to 590-590. Stop laughing while well, you're all like. Yesterday, we asked you which Yankees pitcher holds the Yankees record for most career strikeouts. I, of course, got this immediately. Absolutely. It was Andy Pettit. <laughs> of course you did. I did. It was Andy Pettit. It was no. easy. Today's question is which, and I did not get this. Uh. 
I didn't get this the first guess, second guess, Mm -hmm. third guess, or the fourth guess. It's obvious. Right. Which Red Sox player was the first player in MLB history to win MVP, Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, Batting Title, and the World Series in the same season? Say it again. Which Red Sox player was the first player in MLB history to win MVP, Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, Batting Title, and the World Series in the same season. Text the answer to 595-90 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Did not get this. Me either. Did not get this. It's an obvious guy. It should be, but... You would think so. My reaction is that initially a, guess, lot, a lot of people will outthink themselves. I guess this, everybody what I did. but him. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. And I, and I, well, I basically did the same thing. <laughs> Me too. I basically did the same thing. Yeah. And, and that's one of the problems with these, the, you know, the older franchises is you automatically assume that every record that was set was set back in 1940. Mm-hmm. Um, even those of us who weren't born in 1940 mm. assume that. But uh, anyhow, there you go. Text the correct answer to 59590 for your shot to win. DMs are open for Barker's back leg bits. We have a ton of them. But uh, we'll endeavor to get to as many as possible. The text line's open, 590-590. Our highly skilled and intelligent staff in the mm-hmm. back there will uh, will compile the, All best, over it. the best texts. You see there, Bafo stands up and looks around. Uh, they'll compile the best texts. And if I feel like it, I'll read them. Oh. Jamie Moyer is a former Major League pitcher. It's hard to see. He pitched for 25 seasons. Wow. You, you really That's don't, crazy. It's pretty. It's, he's not even a former. He's a major league pitcher. 25 seasons. Still. The Mariners, <laughs> the Phillies, the Cubs. I love this. <laughs> Mark Boffo. Former major league pitcher, 25 seasons. Mariners, Phillies, Cubs, Orioles, et cetera. Um, which is pretty good. When you, you did. Everybody. He played for team, et cetera. Let's just face it. Jamie Moore played, played for team. I'm jealous. For team, et cetera. Uh, he's going to join us to talk pitching in September, getting ready for the playoffs, what it's like to be pitching for a spot in a rotation down the stretch, which is essentially what uh, we think Ross Stripling and Jose Barrios might be doing. And uh, we'll also get a look at, uh, we'll get Jamie's memories of the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, the World Series winning Philadelphia Phillies team that he was on. Lots to talk about with Jamie Moyer. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Weekday mornings at 9 on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. are open for Barker's back lake bids. SN Jeff Blair's my Twitter handle. I think they're open. Yeah, they are. Thought you were going to leave Twitter. I, I just, I only use it for the show. I don't, and, and for making smart-ass comments about the Blue Jays. <laughs> but I don't do it for anything else. I don't do it for <laughs> food, cats, dogs, family they- members politics, <laughs> weather. I don't use it for any of that stuff anymore. Because uh, I just, I have nothing to add to the, any of those particular conversations. Good for you. Unlike a lot of people who think that they have to have a comment about something on Twitter. Mm. Nobody cares. <laughs> Unless you have an answer to world issues. Maybe they do. Nobody cares. <laughs> So we'll get to Barker's back leg bits in a few minutes. We do have a lot of uh, questions for you. Um, for me or you? Well, for you, for both of us, but I'm going to no, you're not. mainly focus them, direct don't, them don't towards you. Uh, the Jays and Phillies will wrap up their brief two-game series tonight. Citizens Bank Park, the Jays coming off uh, an 18-11, coming off an 18-11 win. The Jays winning 18-11 last night in a game that 
I said headline. Yeah. <laughs> it had four or five different games. It you went, can say it. Say it just like well, that. It really <laughs> did. There was a, there was a lot there was a lot of baseball played last night. And, it wasn't great uh, either. Well, some of it was. Some of it, uh, uh, strangely enough, strangely enough, wasn't. Now for Ross Stripling, uh, it was arguably his least effective. I don't like using the word. It was his least effective start. Uh, as a starter, four plus innings, five earned runs, nine hits. Uh, Kevin's right. Uh, it's the most earned runs he's given up all year, but Kevin's right. It was largely one bad inning. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets interesting, though, is because we know, well, we're, rel- we're relatively certain now that the Jays are going to be in the wild card. We know that there's a chance that they'll have home field advantage. We also know that they'll only need three starting pitchers for that first series. Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman, barring injury, are penciled in as one and two, and it means that a decision will have to be made between Ross Stripling and Jose Barrios as to who will start game three, who will go into the bullpen. And, of course, you know the histories of the two. Ross Stripling's done both jobs. Jose Barrios hasn't come out of the bullpen since a playoff appearance in 2017. So it raises the question, it raises the question, what should a manager, what should a coaching staff be looking at in this situation as they go down the stretch? And what should the pitcher do as a team goes down the stretch? Jamie Moyer has gone through just about everything you can go through (laughs) as a major league pitcher. He pitched 25 seasons uh, in the majors and uh, he's won a World Series. And uh, he's also been uh, an analyst as well. And we're very pleased that Jamie Moyer joins us on Blair and Barker. Jamie, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. And I I wanted to kind of tap into your experiences because one of the storylines, as I mentioned here in Toronto, is who gets that third start in the playoff series. Now, injuries can happen and can render the, you know, can take the decision out of your hands. But how would you approach that if you were a manager? And how would you approach that if the hitters, if you were the pitcher involved? Well, I mean, my good, first of all, good morning. Uh, second of all, uh, that's, a, that's a, a, a giant question. And I don't know that there's a right answer or a wrong answer. Um, I think a lot of it goes with experience and feel. Um, as a manager for your personnel, your players, um, you know, I heard what you both, what you said about, uh, you know, Stripling's past and Berrios's past. Um, you know, first and foremost, you got to win one of the first two games to get to game three. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you don't win game one or game two, you're not even talking about game three. So my focus for me, if you're, you know, you're asking me a question, Mm -hmm. my focus is on game one. How do I win game one? How do I put myself in a situation as a manager and my player? How do I put my players in the best situation to win game one? Um, And, you know, if I can get to that point and look at it, you're talking wild card, anything can happen. We we've seen that already in I'm going to say when you compare it to the, the history of the game of baseball, this wild card situation is, is fairly new when you compare it to the whole history of the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. And we know that anything can happen. Um, you know, teams that aren't expected to do well, do well. Um, so, it, again, you've heard this time and time again, whoever has the hot hand, uh, whoever makes the pitch, whoever makes the play, um, and, and, you know, the, the cool thing about, uh, wild card baseball or playoff baseball, it all starts at zero for everybody involved. So it, you know, yeah, where you, where you finish during the season, uh, does come into play a little bit, but you're in the playoffs, you get free baseball, it's extended baseball. So to me, it's preparing your team as you go through the end of the season, preparing your team to have your horses in the front line when that first game begins. Uh, I know I really haven't given you an answer, um, but it's like I said, it's a really hard question to answer Mm -hmm. because I'm not the manager. I'm not the manager of the blue Jays or any other team 
And, you know, the manager and his staff in front office really have to have a really, I believe, a really good heartbeat on what's going on in that clubhouse. And how did we get to this, you know, to the begin to this new race? You know, who's dinged up? Who's banged up? Who can, you know, who's ready to go? You know, everybody's going to tell you they're ready to go, but you're going to have to lean on your medical staff, you know, to be telling you, hey, you know, this guy... You know, he, he's, he's able to play, but he's not 100%. Uh, Barrios you know, makes – Yep, yep. Go sorry, go, no, I was just going to say, Barrios makes a lot of money. Stripling doesn't. Do you think that matters? I wouldn't worry about – yeah, I don't worry about the money. You don't think I, so? I, I really don't. No, no I, I, I think you go on instinct, and, you know, you may go through past histories. Yeah, you had mentioned that uh, strip, Stripling has done both. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barrios has not. Um, but you know what? There's a time comes a time and a place where when you get to the playoffs, you're going to ask people to do something that they might be a little uncomfortable with. And look, we all know that sometimes when you're pushed to that uncomfortable level, you, you know, you all of a sudden you excel, but you don't know that until you get that opportunity. For me, it's about preparation. How are we preparing for this? Right. Who's best prepared? And as a manager, you should, I think you should know uh, individually how each, you know, going through the course of the season, you have a pretty good idea. Uh, if you don't know firsthand, you know, from your coaching staff, cause I'm sure, uh, you know, managers are relying on their coaching staff for information as well. Who, who does prepare? Well, who is prepared, you know, and I think that's, you know, and then who are our leaders? You know, go to your leaders and say, you know, who's running this clubhouse? Who's in charge of this clubhouse? Who's got a good heartbeat on on what's going on here? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you could pull out of this as a manager to help you make your decisions on what that lineup that, you know, that starting nine is going to look like, what your starting rotation is going to look like. And, you know, look, I, I, for me, baseball is a, is a, is a field game. It's a visual game. You have to see it on the field. Yeah, we can play all these statistic games and and matchup games and things like that. But as a manager, if you have a good feel for your personnel, you know what's going on. You know what guys you want to put in certain situations to succeed. What when when you played? What told you your team? the team you were on, what told you that it was ready for the playoffs? You know, I think just, I think the mentality of my teammates, um, how we handled winning mm-hmm. and more, more importantly, how we handled losing and, you know, and, and what we learned, you know, to me as a baseball player, you learn more from the negative experiences than you do from the positive experiences. So how do you, how do you deal with adversity? Whether is it, are you, you know, did you just lose a tough game or are you going through a streak where you've lost seven out of nine? How are guys handling that? Who's dealing with it? Well, who's not dealing with it? Well, I've had many a teammates, you know, every at bat, if they didn't get a hit, they went batshit crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was just, that was just the competitiveness in them. And some carried it onto the field on the defensive side and some didn't. So you, you learned, you know, like, okay, this guy's wearing it on his sleeve and he can't let it go. Or this other guy. Yeah. He's, he's angry. He's frustrated, but he's let it go. Cause he knows he hasn't, he has a, there's two sides to his job, not only the offensive side, but the defensive side. And it's those guys for me, those guys that want to compete on both sides of the field, or both sides of the ball, or both sides of the lines, call it what you want, um, that's the guy I want in my bunker. Do you think the Mariners are for real this year? Uh, you know, they have a good club. Uh, they, have, um, they have, I don't know if they have quite enough depth in their starting rotation. They have good pitching, but has it been consistent enough? I don't know. Um, but I, I do know they have a good ball club. They have a great nucleus of a ball club, uh, and they've come a long way in the last couple of years. I mean, I, last year obviously they fell a little bit short, but I think they're they're as an organization and as a, a, a team, they're feeding off of last year. And I, I, I and I can 
relate that back to 2007 when I was with the Phillies and we got swept in the first round of the playoffs by the uh, Rockies. I mean, we thought we were going to go in there and just you know, roll through the Rockies. Well, the Rockies, you know, taught us a, a quick lesson and they swept us in three, but I'll tell you what, that bad taste that we had all winter and into spring training and into the next season, I think really helped propel us to have the type of year that we had in 2008. And, you know, we all know what happened. We ended up going to the world series and, and winning a world series. So, uh, and then, you know, and, and that energy continued through 2009. And unfortunately we got beat by the Yankees in the world series. That really, it, it, it's interesting hearing you say that because I, I do think that we, we tend to underestimate. I mean, I'm not saying there's always a hangover from the year, from the year before, but mm-hmm. when you go all the way and you and and you think you've got a good team or you're going deep and you're convinced you've got a good team and it stops suddenly, that really does motivate guys, doesn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'll tell you what. I don't know. I can be 100 percent honest with you. I don't know that I've ever been in a clubhouse after that third loss from the Rockies in 2007, where I saw a clubhouse as somber as I as I witnessed that day. There were people angry. There were people crying. There were people upset. Um, and, and it was real. It was real. Um, and look, we had, you know, even in 2007, we had a bunch of, uh, you know, quality veterans on our team. 2008, we had, you know, uh, Pat Gillick did a fine job in adding uh, some veterans to our ball club. And, you know, I think every, you know, you get into the playoffs, you need that, uh, that veteran leadership you need, you know, and I know I realize, you know, baseball has gotten a lot younger um, since the era that I've played in and it, you know, it's fun to watch. It's exciting to watch, but there's something to be said about that veteran leadership, that veteran uh, uh, experience. Uh, There's a certain calmness. I think when you have veterans on a ball club and I think, that can and and that can also be exuded by the manager and coaching staff as well. Jamie, uh, we just had Raul Labanez on talking about some of the rules changes that we're going to see next year in in baseball, and mm-hmm. of course the mm-hmm. pitch clock is the one that a lot of people are talking about. How, how do you think pitchers are going to adapt to this? And and do you like the rules changes? Do you think that that, uh, that they're necessary? You know, I don't know that they're completely necessary. Um, but you know, MLB has, you know, done their, I guess I'm going to say I'm going to give them that respect and say they've done their due diligence with this and, uh, they're willing to stick their necks out and try this, uh, to speed up the game, to bring the pace of the game forward. Um, hopefully it turns into, you know, I, I think the product is good, but I think they're always trying, you know, we're always in, in our world, we're always trying to make things better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's always the best thing, uh, but time will tell. You know, some of the, you know, one thing that I, I'm, I'm not, you know, and again, I'm not involved in these decisions and the research and all that, but the one thing that baffles me a little bit is when there's a man on base and you can only pick off the first base two times. Right. I, I am, I'm going to be really interested to see how that evolves and how it affects pitching how it affects base running, how it affects defenses, uh, and just how it affects the whole game. Because I believe that there's going to be a team or several teams that are going to figure out a way to draw two throws to first base, and then it's going to be no holes barred. And huh. that's, that's not the game. That's not the game that we know. Okay, and and that's where I'm a little confused. And again, I'm not here to bash it, but I'm I'm questioning it, right? So you know, time will again, time will tell. Uh, but that's one. You know, when when you start taking, for me, when you start taking things away from players or away from their livelihood, I think you've gone a little too far, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example in, in your profession. Like if you were on the radio and they said, okay, you got 30 seconds to do this interview. Um, or, you know, I, I'm not sure how I could liken it to something, but, but you yeah, know what know I'm what saying? If somebody, yeah. takes, if somebody takes something away from you, 
that you know how to do and that's part of your livelihood, yeah. boy, that's that's a that's a big adjustment. And they're doing it in, in a year's time. And the only time you know these guys will have to experiment with this is, is for what approximately thirty games in spring training, and you got to figure it out. Jamie, really good of you to join us Great today. Stuff. Really good insight. Thank you. Be Thank well, you so much. as Thank always. You. All right. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you. Take you care. Too. Jamie Moore, former major league pitcher and uh, former analyst as well. It's smart. Interesting hearing him yeah. talk about the... Uh, it's going to change the, the way. And and it, it, the point is, I, I keep making this point about athletes and, and why they're sometimes res, resistant, resistant to changes because... The system's worked for them to get them to the point where they're in the major leagues right now. Why, why are you changing it on me? And if your guy's made a lot of money, yeah. why are you changing it? You think Max Scherzer likes a pitch club? Why, why are you changing it? I mean, I'm making $40 million a year. I, I, I don't, I, things are okay for That's me. That's one guy. No, but you know what I'm saying. I think there, I think there, I think, I think there are guys who, who will look at it that way. Yeah, maybe. But, um, yeah, I appreciate, uh, appreciate Jamie. That's a great job. Joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barker's back leg bits. He's got a lot of the Barrio stripling thing is the the dominant point of discussion right mm-hmm. now. It's a dominant uh, area of of discussion. Um, on the text line, Stacy from Fredericton wants to know. Thank you for the kind words, Stacy. Do you think the Jays are a more consistent team with Biggio in the lineup? Balanced, maybe because mm-hmm. he's left handed. A little harder to pitch to. You just have to use the breaking ball. Have to use a different side of the plate. But I like Espinal. Like I'm a fan of his. I'd, I'd. That'll be interesting to see how they I handle can see that. It going both time. ways. Is it about defense? Yeah. Or is it about what Kevin Biggio brings? Because it's two different things for me. It's not the same. So I that. That's interesting. No, Bidge, and and you know uh, Ben made the point as well about Biggio that he does he does bring a little things that you he brings things that a lot of guys in this team don't uh, don't necessarily don't necessarily have and there's there is certainly a uh, there's certainly room for that but they have options which is good. Scott Hammerling wants to know is the second person to ask this question today he wants to talk about Matt Chapman mm-hmm. and taking so many fastballs for strikes. Yeah. I think he guesses. I think he guesses a lot with two strikes. I think he doesn't like the ball away. Uh, I think with those two things said, he is a typical right-handed hitter on a dominant right-handed hitting lineup. That's what I think. And I think he does most of his damage to the pull side. And when you do that, you're looking for a pitch that you can drive, not to fillet to right, even with two strikes. That's a big. That's a big answer, but I think that's the right answer. And I'm not sure with him hitting because you got to remember he's hit a little all over the place. He's let off. The at bats has to change. He's hit cleanup. You change. He's hit fifth. They've changed. He's hit down in the order seventh. That that they change right. You're trying to get on base. You're trying to drive in runs. You're trying to hit homers. Like all those things change. How do you do it? You look for your pitch. If you don't get your pitch, what do you do, Jeff? You take it, even with two strikes. So I'm okay with him taking those pitches if he does what he did last night. Uh, Greg, or to be more... Uh, but that's a good question. To be more direct, Car Greg wants to know if the Jays have enough battle-tested guys with postseason experience. Uh, is that a concern? Does that, that matter? I mean, Jamie seemed to think it was. Listen to him talk. You need those guys. Do you have more talent than the Astros? Yeah. That for me is the key here. Like the game is so young that most teams don't have what the Dodgers have, which is both, and what the Astros have, which is both. And then there's everybody else. Everybody else has to have more talent to match up against those two teams because most teams are younger, just like the Jays. So for me, I think it's about talent and it's about the guy standing on the mound. If the guy that guy's good, your team's gonna look good. Do you think Jackie Bradley Jr.'s experience in the postseason? Doing what? Pinch hitting, playing defense. He's always going to be a great defender. We agree on that? Yeah. Offensively, what's he bringing? What's he bringing? I, I know he hit a cement hit some mixer. Doubles. I, hit some doubles. I, I get, in the playoffs? Yeah. I don't see this why not. Year, 
Scott, how many doubles? Uh, let me is ask you. you let me ask you a question. Would Would you rather him him play or Tapia? Him getting at bat late in the game or Tapia? Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 defensive side of it, we know what I that answer is. I was going to say, is. I would Offen- rather offensively. No, Tapia. Then there you go. Okay, no Tapia. But if he had to stay in the game, yeah, I want. I get it. I want Jackie Bradley Jr. Only in the ninth inning of every playoff game. I understand in the that. Outfield. I didn't ask that. Yeah, I know. I know. The You're other asking. side of the ball. No, that that's that that's a fair point. Yeah, that's a. Fair He's a point. good player. And I want him on my team in the playoffs, but I don't know. <laughs> this is good. Uh, Defy is why asks mm, on a scale of bad pitching to good hitting. What in the hell did I watch last night? <laughs> it's actually from Mike in Saskatoon. What was that last night? Was it bad pitching or good hitting? Eighteen, eleven. What did I say? How many hits was there? There was like. 30-odd hits. 30. I always like to say because of how hard these guys throw, I like to think that it's better hitting than bad pitching. So I'm going to go on the side of they made mistakes, the hitters made them pay for it. These dudes throw a bazillion miles an hour. The hitter doesn't know it's coming. You can take an educated guess, but you don't know it's coming. And the last time I checked, that bat's round. Last time I saw that ball's round. So I'm giving that to the hitter. Patrick Rutledge. Very quickly. Bigger accomplishment. Pujols 700 or Judge's potential 62? 700 homers is. There's been three of those in the history of baseball. So I'm going with that. And I think the the whole. I mean, 60 is a lot, but 700. You kidding me? Hitting 700 in your final year. And and Albert Pujols, by the way, again yesterday reiterated, I'm done. Like, I've achieved everything I want to achieve. Fingers crossed. I'm done. It's not 699. 699. He says he ain't coming back. That's it for us. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk tonight whenever the 645 start ends. We'll be back here tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet 360. If you're listening via podcast, please rate review and subscribe yourself great day